his prognosis was basically, you know, are you trying to build and focus your efforts on building a successful startup at this time via YC? Or are you trying to make a statement? I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? In today's episode, I speak with the CEO of Proven Skincare, Ming Zhao. Um, she is extremely impressive, to say the least. She has taken Proven from idea to $24 million in sales in just two years. She got a Harvard MBA, went through Y Combinator, was named the Female Entrepreneur of the Year in 2020. Um, so this one is packed with how did she have that explosive growth from nothing to 24 million in sales in two years? We break that down. We talk about what she really learned by going through Harvard and Y Combinator and how that set her up to succeed. Um, and then we get into you know how she actually failed along the way to uncover what really worked to activate people when selling this this beauty product. So if you're at all doing something in the consumer space, I think this one will be really helpful and tactical to see how she grew and what might be applicable to you. So really hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. Today on the podcast, I have the CEO and co-founder of Proven Skincare. And for people that don't know, this company is a rocket ship. And so we have Ming Zhao on to give us all of the secrets on how she pulled this off. But Ming, thank you so much for coming on today. Jim, it's such a pleasure. Really excited yeah. to, to chat with you and your audience. Yeah, and we've got to chat a little bit before over the years, and I've been able to be kind of a spectator seeing what you're doing. But we're, we're just going to jump into it with the real hard-hitting questions here. You have gone from idea to, in, in your first four years, you hit $24 million in sales. That's insane. That sounds like something a lot of listeners would like to do. So I want to like really kind of unpack that a little bit because like, like we have a startup studio yeah, we're launching a men's grooming product. We've been working for a year on the formulation and we're, we're losing money on this. Whereas you have in two years, you were able to make this very impressive. So first, I want to even start like, like how long did that formulation process take before you could even turn the site on to start making money? Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah, the formulations process, you know, even before that, you know, we didn't go into entrepreneurship, my co-founder and I, with a clear plan of what we're going to do. In fact, we started with our technology. So my co-founder is a computational physicist from Stanford, and I have more of a business background. You know, what we had was an inspiration that skincare as the status quo where everything is one size fits all, you know, everything. It's like you, you know, you walk into a department store and you, you know, you tell the counter lady, oh, you, you know, I have this, I have that, this is what I want to deal with. And the counter lady would likely give you a couple of things that says, oh, this thing will do miracles for you. That thing would do miracles for you. Um, they're all very expensive. And then in walks another customer who looks nothing like you, is not your age, doesn't have the same skin issues, 
you know, nothing, no similarities whatsoever. And the counter lady would again say the same thing. This thing is going to be miraculous for you and, and, and for you and for you. And that, that from a biological perspective, the fact that our skin is an organ of the body and we all have different bodies and different skin and our differences require a different set of ingredients and, and treatment and products like that just doesn't make any logical sense to us. And it never did. And that's why we were so frustrated with the market ourselves. You know, we ourselves were customers and also avid consumers and, you know, passionate users of skincare products. And we ourselves came up upon this sort of crossroads where we, we just were feeling so frustrated with, with, with the industry and with what we needed for ourselves. And that's why we were inspired to start a new way. But even then, in the beginning, we didn't know what we were doing. We we, we All we knew was that we wanted to personalize skincare and we wanted to use data to do that. So similar to how chat GPT, you know, has built this conversational AI tool, we also use AI to gather all the scientific literature and evidence and real life evidence there was to skin and the care of skin and the ingredients and whom they do what at what under what circumstance. To, to first understand skin, skin care. So we gathered all the scientific literature there was of where there are little more than 4,000 peer-reviewed scientific journal articles. We use AI to collate, understand through all of that. And then we also gather all the empirical evidence, so all the people, you know, throughout history who have tried skincare products, what's happened to them. And now we have more than 28 million people and and they're where they're at, you know, where what type of skin they might have, what skin issues they're dealing with, and how have different ingredients, you know, responded to to their skin, etc. So starting from that, we called that the Skin Genome Project, and we first built that because you know Amy, my co-founder, is a computational physicist, and that's where she, her strength is in terms of data and AI and understanding data. So we started from there. And we built this database and we immediately got some accolades around the database. And that's when we decided to turn this into an actual company. And that is around the time that we got into Y Combinator. So we got into Y Combinator with a database at a good level, but without a clear um, understanding of what, what the business model of the business would even be. We just knew that something had to change and this was a good starting point to, to change that. Gotcha. So it's so interesting because a lot of people like in the beauty space or grooming or whatever, it's okay. I want to make it a little bit different from what's out there. Let me do a formulation. You all are starting from almost this, to be kind, a data nerd perspective. It's let's go deep on understanding this huge data set because this is wrong and that like everyone's getting this same skincare product. So you have this data set, you get into YC, you are still not a beauty brand yet. You're still figuring out, okay, what's the use case or application to mm -hmm. add value to people? And then was it in Y Combinator when you hatched the idea to, okay, this is the best way we can help people is by making personalized skincare products. Is, is that when it happens? You know, it's actually a series of serendipitous events that got us to 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 the model and the structure of Proven. So, so we got into Y Combinator, and by the way, we had, we Amy and I, you know, we we're co-founders. The team is at the time just the two of us. It was the two of us, and you know, our database. 
as soon as we got into Y Combinator, we realized that we were both pregnant. And we had to have this very thin conversation with our mentor at Y Combinator and saying, oh, you know, we, you know, our, our, we, we were very, we were a little bit embarrassed to say, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're sorry. We, we really mean to focus on our startup, but we happen to be pregnant at this time. And our, our mentor, who was wonderful, was like, well, you know, you have to consider. He really had our best interests in mind. And he was, you know, this was back in 2018. And his prognosis was basically, you know, are you trying to build and focus your efforts on building a successful startup at this time via YC? Or are you trying to make a statement? Because if we fast mm. forward, you know, at, at around demo day time, demo day is, you know, the day where all the all the graduating YC startups present in front of hundreds of, you know, older, almost all male investor, you know, investor set. Um, yeah. On, on demo day, you would both be very visibly, heavily pregnant on stage. You know, one of the few all women founder teams, and you're going to happen to be pregnant. That yeah. is a both, both pregnant. Yeah, both <laughs> pregnant. That is a statement. You know, that's a bold statement. Or are you trying to get your company off the ground? Because you know, starting a company is not easy for anybody, right? It's not just for you know, mom founders or just women founders. It's not easy for male founders either. So mm -hmm. uh, on top of all these difficulties, you know, do you want to add another so-called handicap of being two moms who are, you know, both first-time moms and, you know, managing all of this stuff at the same time? They might not say anything, right? Nobody's going to be like, oh, they're pregnant. We're not going to invest in it. Nobody's going to say anything, right? But what, yeah. what are they going to do with their money? So, so if they had to make the decision at that time, you know, to then defer YC, so mm -hmm. that nobody would be the wiser that we had just given birth to newborns oh, when we were in YC. <laughs> yes. So, you know, so we would bring, so yeah, so that's what happened. You know, we waited until after we gave birth so that we can, you know, surreptitiously mm -hmm. uh, pretend that we didn't have these handicaps in our lives. And, uh, you know, we would bring these like huge apparatuses of like breast milk pumps <laughs> to, you know, to YC with us. And at the time, all of the window offices were were made of glass. Whoa. So there was like nowhere to pump. And we would, so, we would squeeze into the toilet stalls and just like sit there for the 12 minutes it takes to like pump, pump, pump. One time I forgot the special bottle that attaches to the apparatus. So I had to grab these like coffee cups and I had to put like pour, pour breast milk into coffee cups and run around these coffee cups full of breast milk, <laughs> trying to look for my mentor and talk about the startup. Uh, so it was it was a very it was a very wow. interesting journey in the beginning, but maybe you know all of that made it so that you know it's actually harder for us to want to quit because of what we've gone through. But but yeah, but YC was certainly a great help in our startup journey, and you know after YC we were mentioned in we are featured by TechCrunch mm -hmm. as you know one of the promising companies coming out of Y Combinator with award winning technology. And, you know, what technology has really never really been of this caliber, has never really been applied to the beauty, skincare, wellness industry. So we got a nice write-up. And from that write-up, I got a ping on LinkedIn one day from the head of dermatology at Stanford University, uh, mm -hmm. who was saying that, oh, you know, I think what you're doing is really innovative and this is going to be the future of dermatology and skincare. And I want to be a part of it. And help you build this. And I was like, this has got to be a scam. I, I don't yeah. think I'm part of dermatology at Stanford. 
is, you know, pinging me on LinkedIn. And, you know, we went to meet with him at Stanford and lo and behold, it was him. And he, you know, he then, we then worked with him um, together with another award-winning cosmetic formulator also from Stanford. Mm -hmm. So that's when we connected the data to real-life dermatological care as yeah. well as product formulation. And we then went into, yeah, about a year and a half, two-year R&D beta testing, mm. you know, consumer testing period from 2018 to 2019. Okay, that's super interesting. I, I love hearing that kind of linear story of how it evolved and like getting connected with the head of dermatology. But one even comment on the, the parent component. And unfortunately, you're probably right. Like having kids is a handicap, but someone with two kids, I used to be able to pull all-nighters and like work forever. But when you have kids, it's like, the day stops at 517 when I have to go pick up my kid, right? <laughs> right. And it's it, it's just a different way to work. But I will say, to some extent, it gives you superpowers as far as you become this efficient machine where you're kind of giving a shit meter changes a little bit as far as what really matters and what doesn't. Like the little BS, you just don't even have time for. And I feel like moms, even more so than dads, have a superpower that's probably 5x that. But I don't know if if you feel like, hey, if I can get through YC with a newborn, like I'm unstoppable or if you're like, I'm exhausted, I, get, I need a vacation. <laughs> it's a combination of both. <laughs> you know, I, but I definitely agree that having a kid, regardless, you know, what else is going on in your life does give one superpowers. And I think, you know, one thing I've always felt throughout, you know, the past five, six years of um, of of starting and running proven was that, you know, many, many days in startup them is just, you know, it's, it's painful, right? It's painful, ups and downs, very frequently downs. There are days <laughs> of te tedium, there's days of, you know, frustration. And, you know, having, having, having something outside of that, that you care tremendously about, right? That, that, that is there and loves you no matter what, you know, regardless of the startup, certainly they have no idea what you're, what you do, right? Especially in early stages. And mm -hmm. to have that kind of constancy and love and care in your life, I think is actually, it's actually a secret weapon to, mm -hmm. to being able to continue down a journey that is otherwise very difficult and very painful. Yeah. And, and not super rewarding, you know, and a little right. thankless at times, right? When you're the CEO or the boss, it's no one's, hey, you're doing a great job as a CEO today. You know, you don't get a lot of those, those pats on the back. That's um, right. And if you did, then you'd be a little bit suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? Yeah. What are you looking for? Okay. So let's keep going down this linear path. This is super fun. So you're like, okay, you're, you're escape velocity out of YC, meet head of dermatology, you go into kind of formulation, product development for a year and a half, two years. Talk about, okay, we have something we're going to launch. Like, how did you get your first hundred thousand, like that, that first set of customers? Like, well, what happens there? Yeah, I, I would say those first couple of years after YC, there was no escape velocity. It was a, it was a, it was a grind. It was, we didn't know what we were doing. We were doing R&D. And when you're in R&D, right, there's, you know, there's no validation of what you're doing. You, you haven't really gotten a chance to test the product. So it's a lot of just continuing and keep on keeping on 
with blind faith. So there, there was, you know, there was no escape velocity for, for some time. And you never really feel escape velocity. All you feel is, you know, there's so much work and things could break. And, you know, you're just mm-hmm. trying to work and catch up as much as you can. So during that time, especially, it was, you know, we would go to the lab with, with our formulator. We would try this. We would try that. We would try on ourselves, get, try it with friends and send, you know, send. We have, I have photos of myself and my co-founder, Amy, both, you know, heavily pregnant and filling bottles and applying labels to bottles. In fact, my apartment um, in SF at the time, we were, I was living in the mission with my husband. And we turned our entire apartment into an assembly line for Proven oh once, you know, once our initial formulations were made with our mm. formulator. So our living room became the formulations lab. We had ingredients. We had bottles. We had hot plates. We had mixing emulsion blenders. Um, and we were doing test batches. And the test batches got bigger and bigger. So we, one day my, my husband was like, oh my gosh, I found this emulsion blender that professional chefs use. And it was like, it was just comically, a comically large emulsion blender that he was so proud that he got. We got this like cauldron. He was like, <laughs> we're like, you know, witches, like making batches of skincare in like a big cauldron with this emulsion blender. Oh and then, gosh. and then the assembly line goes down. And then the, you know, we, with our dining room was a labeling. We had these label labelers that kept on breaking, breaking down. So, you know, it's like Amy, award-winning data scientist from Stanford was applying labels to bottles at, you know, for, for, for months on end. Yeah, just and living then, the dream. That's why she got that degree, right? That's you right. Know. It's, right. it's <laughs> like a dingy, dingy living room, like heavily pregnant, sitting on like hard benches and labeling. And then her husband and my, my husband helped out for a little bit in the beginning where, you know, they, they were helping to fill the bottles and then ship items to USPS. And thinking, you know, there must be a smarter way to do this rather than bring a hundred bags of samples to USPS and having the lady at the mail office, you know, be mad at him because it's, you know, such such a bulk order. It shouldn't be going through consumer routes. So so all of that, it just, you know, we were just, we didn't know, we didn't know at all what we we're doing. We didn't know any any of the things that are sort of, you know, now seem so basic, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. starting a a company or or, you know, a products e-commerce company. And that went on for many, many months. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So and that's, I, I love those early days stories. So as you're making these products, so you're making, oh, and actually I have a question for that. You, you, did you raise money after YC that's helping fund the R&D? Or are you all having to pay for that yourselves? Or do you raise fr- friends and family around? So we raised money after YC. We raised the uh, initial seed round of, I think it was two and a half million. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that sounds like a lot of money to any individual. But, you know, to start a company, <laughs> it really is not if not a lot of money to start a company, unfortunately. Yeah. So Amy and I basically didn't, you know, take salaries for a while. Yeah. And, you know, here we, here we are having kids on the way and we couldn't take a salary. You know, it was a, yeah. it was a crazy time. But but that, you know, got us started and got us started with R&D and ordering, you know, supplies, ordering bottles mm-hmm. and then initial consumer testing. Nice. So you're doing consumer testing. You, you, you're getting confident you have something. When do you go live with this? Where you start getting your first orders that aren't from friends and family or it's a, a ghost account that's yourself? Yeah. So we went to a couple of women's events in San Francisco. You know, there were at, at that time sort of supporting female founder 
as you know, as a topic was just starting. So, you know, we certainly appreciate that a lot because we stand on the shoulder of giant for a lot of these women that, you know, turn around and want to help. So we basically took our wares, you know, our sample products, our personalized skin quiz with us on the road, you know, to these different women's events to try to learn about, you know, what people liked, what didn't. But you know what? I don't think we learned that much during that period of time, even though we, we were doing all of this, right? You know, because people want to support you. They'll say, oh, everything is great. You know, but we, we I don't know if we knew the truth at that time. I don't think we knew the truth until we started to, you know, basically run ads and, and test the products with, with strangers. Do you really mm-hmm. know, you know, if, if you have legs? Yeah. And that actually helps you see if this is scalable too. And one thing people should do, like really go to the proven website. There is a really impressive skin quiz on there where you can get your kind of custom formula that I I think is really best in class. And so you're kind of going to market, not really with a product, but with, you know, take this quiz to get your custom formula and are your ads. So would you say to get to that first level of growth, was it all on the back of paid on, on Facebook and Instagram and leaning into your point of differentiation, which is the science, it's you and your co-founder and getting that custom formula. Was that really what kind of helped get those first thousand customers? It was, it was numerous things. You know, it was trying all different kinds of messaging, including those messaging. It was trying to, you know, get our friends and family to start to, to support us. Although in the beginning, I think we were a little bit embarrassed about our initial products to really do too much of that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, about our products, about our initial, about, about our processes. Although even now, some, some of our friends still say that they miss those formulations that we made in our, you know, that, that they knew were made in our house <laughs> and now, you know, not at the professional labs that they, they're now made in that are, you know, FDA accredited and everything. <laughs> but, um, but I, I really think it was just continuing. I don't know if I can pinpoint to a couple of things that helped us yeah. get to the initial thousand customers. I would just say just continuous testing, you know, talking to potential customers, even though some of these, some of these organizations, some of these uh, events that we went to with, with female founders and, and, and like VCs, some of them were pretty snooty. Like we, we would go, we would try to get yeah. them to fill out our, you know, personalized skin quiz. And they'd just be like, what is this? This is so janky. And we're like, oh my God, to be female <laughs> supporting female, this is not making me feel very supported at all. We're trying to like do things. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, not a, it's not a joke, but a lot of them treat it <laughs> like a joke. So you also have that. Uh, but, you know, but continuing, you know, despite that, continuing. And then we eventually, I think, hired a marketer who helped you start to test ads, right? And that that is what really starts the engine is like starting to understand what it takes to get a business off the ground and mm-hmm. understanding, okay, it's the messaging, it's the the prop value propositions, it's the images that you use. And that's when we can actually become tactical about how to steer this business the right way. Gotcha. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service, 
Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. Yeah, so you're doing offline things to talk to people to get feedback, which you're like, that's kind of helpful, but wasn't significantly helpful. Really, right. as you start doing paid, you're honing in on the message, the the images that work. What's kind of that next level? Because what, what I'm trying to understand is like zero to 24 million in two years. And it, like, there's a lot of, as I talked to other DTC founders that have hit Scale, a lot of them are like, you know, we wrote Facebook and Instagram ads, so 40 million or 50 million. Others, they would diversify like five to 10 million as they go to partner channels. Because I, I, as I look at your product and the way people get it with the formula, I mean, you guys kind of are black belts as far as uh, like digital marketing and online acquisition. What, what are the other things you had to bolt on for growth to hit that scale? Or was it just becoming first class at paid acquisition? So I would say the the initial point of that is figuring out what could be a win, right? Because some people, you know, I know some consumer companies are geniuses at getting organic, let's say, blog mentions. You know, that's how uh, how Stitch Fix and, you know, Lisa Mattress, that's how they really exploded, right? Just being able to, just having that superpower of of getting organic mentions. You know, others... Have you know some some companies wrote PR to 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 start them? For us, we didn't really have either of those superpowers. So, but we tried everything. You know, we tried to get organic mentions. We tried to get a lot of PR. We tried digital marketing. You know, we tried you know writing some content ourselves. And it turns out in the beginning, what what made a big difference for us was was. Uh, paid ads via Facebook. Instagram actually didn't work well for us. And then, you know, starting to build up Google as well. So as soon as we knew that that would at least get us off the ground, right? It's like none of this is like saying, okay, well, in the future, this is all we're going to get to whatever 100 million. You can't have that kind of foresight. You just say, okay, well, this is driving two customers today versus the other is driving zero. Well, then let's invest more. Can we get to 10? Like we used to have a ping on our Slack. Every time we got an order, it would ping everybody on the team and all like four of us, we get so excited. And I was just like, I just want 10 orders a day. Just ping me 10 times a day. And then eventually <laughs> it was like, I just want 20. Oh my gosh, if I got to 20, I would just be so happy. Uh, and then, you know, thankfully, eventually we had to turn the ping off. But I think in the early days, it's if not saying, okay, this is how we're going to grow. It's going out, testing all of the different potential channels mm-hmm. and then seeing what responds. It's kind of like, you know, you would think that going to all these kind of female events in a, you know, high income city of high disposal income women would, would jumpstart a business. But that wasn't what jumpstarted the business. It was it was other efforts. So, you know, so you, you, you can't have you can't sort of try to predetermine that you have to test and learn into it. Gotcha. One like big takeaway that is really cool to hear is it's easy 
for people to read headlines like, oh, well, proven, just like they've got it all figured out. They're just this rocket ship. But I love this point that you're like, we tried a lot of things. A lot didn't work. But this isn't sports in the sense of like you have to shoot 70% from the free throw line. You really need one thing to work really well that can scale and you can write it. And I think the fact that you all were willing to put yourselves out there, test things, be okay with it not working. But once you find something, really kind of double down into that. It's funny, my wife, she gave me kind of a backhanded compliment the other day where she was like, we we're talking about something. And she's like, oh, yeah, you'd be great at that. You're really good at getting rejected. And I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, as a business owner, you're always getting rejected and failing. I was like, thank you, I think. <laughs> but I love that you kind of call that out and you're not just, oh, yeah, we did this. It was easy. I'm always impressed with CEOs that are kind of secretly good marketers where they're just trying to make noise every single week and month, knowing that not yes. everything's going to work. Absolutely. I mean, you hear so many stories, right? Like, I think we've all heard of stories of how, you know, early days, Airbnb, they hacked, right? They hacked Craigslist to, to, to get all of the initial traffic. I bet it wasn't because of, you know, one of Brian Chesky waking up one day and say, this is how I'm going to get to a billion dollar company, right? He must have tested like a hundred different things. I mean, he must have tested all kinds of things like paid, what, whatever to get to this one, you know, the one weird trick, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like a grand design of arriving at a one weird trick. So I, I think that is the only way, you know, you, you need to find your own, your own path. Yeah. And then that, that's such a good point. Another thing that it's a big takeaway is, you know, you all really invested in making a great product because the beauty industry, is it's a knife fight. It's so competitive. However, people are, will they have their price insensitive and they're willing to test out their products and brands to be right for them. And I, I think that's huge. And what's beautiful is the business model, like you're like, you have the three-step skincare routine that's, you know, 130 bucks every two months or $200 every two months. Your lifetime value is, is amazing. Who, like any advice you could give to people when you're trying to find those early adopters or fast followers that would be willing to switch to proven or to test it out? Was it about that messaging of, okay, let's talk about the problem that they're still not solving with the other products or the features we have? Or like, what, what were you able to do to really speak to them in a way where they're like, all right, I'm interested in trying this product? Yeah. You know, even for that, it was a result of a lot of testing. In fact, you know, when we first had our products, you know, we, we decided based on our dermatologist for formulations recommendations is that, you know, we, we wanted to have all the necessary skincare ingredients and skincare products in a system, but without a lot of the, you know, the unnecessary things. So we launched with a core system of personalized cleanser, personalized night cream, and personalized day moisturizer with SPF. But we didn't know that we should bundle them together to sell them. We had to test into that, right? We had to test into that to know that, well, when you use all those products together and they have this synergistic effect and they are, you know, everything a foundational skincare system, you know, a person needs for a foundational skincare system, they have better results and therefore repeat purchases also better. So, you know, and even the price point too, all of that took a lot of testing. And I mean, years of testing. And even now we're still testing all of those. And I think that is one of the superpowers that 
having a co-founder who's a data scientist affords us. So it was it wasn't just that we started with a database that's you know AI powered for for our product. Certainly that is a key point of differentiation. But that data understanding is infused through everything that we do so that we're constantly watching, you know, what people are doing on our site, how people are responding to our products, how long they're staying. And that data is what gives us feedback as to say, okay, so this test is successful. That test does not work. Constantly A-B testing basically everything, uh, which, which allows us to go forward without being blind because you're basically taking all of these steps blind. You know, what is the price point? Blind. You know, what is the, you know, what is the, is it, is it bundles? Is it individual products? Blind. You know, so, but only with data can you get that feedback from customers, kind of like discovering your marketing channel in the beginning. All of this should be well tested. And is most of this testing, is it happening on like paid platforms because it's the fastest way to get feedback? Or is it a hybrid of, okay, we're testing pricing and positioning through ads? Or is it like you're doing offline things? Or are, are there other, just so as people hear you say testing, how can they tactically apply that? I think for the very fundamental thing, first of all, we weren't that sophisticated. We were like, oh, we have this tested pod and that tested pod. We had one, <laughs> you know, we had one funnel. We had everybody was coming to this one funnel and we yeah. either tested that funnel or we didn't, you know. So, and also I think for these fundamental things, you don't want to have it be unduly influenced by any factors that you might not know of, right? So it's like yeah. pricing. If it's bundling or not, you do that, you do that on your main channel and you make sure that the result that you get, which is going to affect the future of your business, is the result. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when we, you know, when we first launched, there was no subscription skincare a company that we knew of. Mm. We just didn't, you know, nobody thought that skincare could be a subscription category. We had never seen that before. Nobody's ever seen that before. So we didn't launch with subscription products. We launched with one-time purchase products. And then customers would email us and say, you know, hey, I love the products. I want to keep getting that. Is there any way we could get the products without having to retake this quiz? Mm. And we were like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we could have subscription products because people are loving the products. So we very gingerly, very, you know, you know, again, in a sort of like an embarrassed way, offered subscription, but we didn't want to scare people away. So we didn't even do it on the main purchase page. We did it on the thank you page because, again, mm. we were very, so we were very like nervous about, you know, scaring away the 20 customers that were coming in. So we were like, oh, now that you bought, you know, are you interested in subscribing now? We'll give you a little discount. And if you don't like it, you can always cancel it on the thank you page, which, you know, most people don't even look at, right? You just like click out after you check out. But but that's how we then initially saw that, hey, people were willing to subscribe. And then, hey, people after they subscribe, you know, a small percentage of people subscribe, but they stayed. So then we, you know, moved that subscription question further to the front and then further to the front and becoming more of a forefront. So So all of that is kind of like a lot of these steps that seem... You know, now company making that literally are what makes the company sustainable and able to subsist as a company and even thrive as a company. A lot of those were really small steps that arrived at, at, at that and maybe sometimes serendipitous steps as well. Yeah, that, that, that's really helpful feedback. And one thing like with a lot of like beauty brands we'll work with, it's all about that activation offer. It's OK, here's the free quiz. And. 
they'll struggle with, okay, do we do this bundle and give them a discount? Or do we give them a free sample? Do we give them a product for free? And even with our own grooming product, we're looking at doing some really aggressive experiments where it's like, hey, the, this business model is retention-based and that if they like the product, the lifetime value is going to be strong. So we're down to break even or maybe lose a little bit of money on that first transaction, knowing right. we'll make it up on the, the back end. And I know like some competitors in the space will be as aggressive as that. Is that something you all have played with or you're like, actually... We don't have to do that because of our reputation. But I, I don't know how you think through that and like how you think through customer acquisition costs with a great business model with lots of repeat purchases. You know, these are all, I don't think these are all black and white questions. I think these are all <laughs> questions, you know, some of them are value. I want the answers. I want the playbook. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and we are still wrestling with a lot of them. You know, even when before we launched, I remember talking to a prospective investor and he was like, you must do, you know, sample sets. You must do free sample sets. You get them with a free sample set and then you make them buy the next set. And that's how you get them. Mm -hmm. And we didn't do it, not because we didn't think it was a good idea, but because operationally it was too challenging for personalized yeah. products. You know, we already have so many SKUs because it's, you know, tailored to individuals. And if we do sample sets, it just, you know, it's such a huge operational challenge for a small company, even, even now. So we just never did them. So we just basically had to grit our teeth and brute force, uh, brute force our way into initial acquisitions. But yeah. thankfully, you know, the products and the value proposition worked so that we could get started with, you know, with just a full, here's $129 if you subscribe product. And, you know, people had been so frustrated with the status quo products in the industry that they, you know, they were willing to buy it. And then once they tried it and it worked, they were willing to continue to buy it. So, you know, we, we, I think we, we were lucky in that the products were that good and the industry was that, you know, previously, you know, not serving customers well. Yeah. That, that's, that's such a great anecdote on that. And you're right. It's so great. Everybody wants the, the secret hack, but you're exactly mm -hmm. right. So, I mean, okay, so you go from idea to 24 million in two years, you've raised VC money and people listening probably know this, but like when you obviously raise VC money, they have aggressive goals of an eventual exit or an IPO to 10x their money. How do you think about the future of Proven and what is that goal? It's, hey, you know, we're good. We're not going to raise more. We can have an, a great outcome for everybody. We want to do this for the long term. Or like, how do you all think through, you know, what does the next three to five years look like? And what what does the growth strategy look like for that? You know, I have to say, so after after YC, after raising the seed round, right? Um, many of those investors in the seed round, you know, we're used to companies that like, you know, they invest after YC and then, you know, two quarters later, right? They're worth this and worth that. We weren't that. As I mentioned, you know, after YC, we still spent like a good 18 months on R&D during which time a lot of these investors, what have you guys been doing? You know, there's nothing to show here. <laughs> and it's for my whatever, you know, $100,000. What do I get? Just like, you know, a hundred formulas? That's not what I bought. And I think it was a very frustrating time to continue to hear that, right? So, so yeah, I think it's, you know, you really have to, if possible, in the beginning, think about what path you want to be on. I think for us eventually, you know, after finding our way somewhat, 
you know, maybe we did redeem ourselves in their eyes, but it didn't really matter, right? Because we, you know, we obviously care about the company and its success much more than any investor could, right? Because they're they're basically out there like spraying their, you know, their diversifying their their money across many, many different investments because they know that many of those will fail. Whereas, you know, for founders, for the team, for, you know, for for um for everybody who's day in, day out working on it, right? This is this is your life's work. This is your other baby. So, you know, obviously you care a lot more than than they do. And at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, putting in a good effort and trying to make it as good of an opportunity and situation as possible. And that's what, you know, that's what they're buying and not necessarily sort of, you know, what happens at this time frame, what happens at that time frame. You know, it doesn't doesn't work like that in life. Yeah. Gotcha. So yes, you care about investors, obviously. No one cares more than you guys as far as like where right. you want to go with this. Exactly. So I'm always interested, you know, what is a question I like to ask people, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? I would say it's actually some of our team members. In fact, you know, one of our founding engineers has been with Proven since, since the very beginning. So, you know, six years. And one of our lead designers also. In, you know, in the earlier days when we were all in my living room, I used to sit next to this designer and basically micromanage her screen next to her and say, okay, now move this thing here, move this thing there. <laughs> like four days on end. You know, now thankfully, I'm sure she's thankful that I, I no longer do that. And then same thing, <laughs> same thing with, with our founding engineer. In fact, a lot of this testing that I mentioned, right? We have a skin genome quiz that, that was created by our dermatologist that simulates how a dermatologist evaluates a person. And then once that diagnostic quiz is completed, we then show people their personalized products. And that is what we call our congrats page. It's basically like, you know, congrats, you've finished your skin genome quiz and here's what you get, your personalized skincare system that's, you know, right for you. And that congrats page, you know, I'm, I'm not being facetious. It's probably gone through more than a thousand iterations. <laughs> and in the early days, I literally, after the day's end, I was sitting next to the engineer who was not a front-end engineer, by the way. He's a data engineer. And we, he and I would, change font, change color, change image, move things around. And we would do that like for 45 minutes every day and then look at the numbers <laughs> overnight. And then next morning, okay, say, let's do this again. Let's, oh, this, this language worked. This CTA button worked. This color of the CTA, this font size of the CTA. Let's add a little lock, you know, on next to some CTAs, all of those things. And we used to do that for weeks on end. And that is what sort of like 0.1% improvement at a time got us to a reasonable, sustainable conversion rates. And because he cares so much that he would launch these tests like every night. So he would, you know, sit with me from six to seven to make these <laughs> micro changes. And then at midnight, he would then deploy these changes because even though we had so little traffic, he was like, oh, I don't want people who are coming in after dinner or whatever to, to find a website that's not working. So he would like, you know, stay up until midnight to deploy every night. And that's a dedication that, you know, that without that, you know, without him and, and, and our designer, without them, Proven wouldn't be what it is today. And I wouldn't be, you know, continue to be a, a CEO. Yeah. It's so obvious, but it's so important. It's like, you're only as good as like the people around you and like finding those a players that actually care about like the quality of work is is everything, especially in those early days, because it's so fragile. You're just like a house of cards. So that that's a really good story. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I don't know when when we can start to not feel like a house of cards. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a right. founder syndrome that you always feel like this startup baby is like a newborn. You know, you never feel like yeah. it's like a, you know, it's like a five-year-old company. You never feel that way. You're just like, oh my gosh, if I just let any little thing down, right? It could just yeah. die. But maybe it's not that fragile, right? But maybe, but you know, that's the, maybe the paranoid survive and that's, <laughs> that's how we are. You know, for me personally, I'm, I'm not sure if I shared yet. So I'm an immigrant to the U.S. I, I myself am an immigrant, as in my, my family and I moved from China to the U.S. when I was 12 years old, so about eighth grade. And we moved because we had no idea what America was like, what the culture was like. My parents didn't, you know, didn't know anything about America. They just knew that it would create a better future, you know, for, for me mm-hmm. and for their progeny. And I could escape the, you know, relentless competition of, you know, a billion people trying to better themselves. So, so we moved to South Florida of all places where, you know, a family, Chinese family that didn't speak any English. So I was in ESOL for many, for many years when I first got here. ESOL is English as a second language where, you know, they, oh, yeah. they put the immigrant kids there to help them assimilate, which, you know, which is so wonderful. I, I'm so grateful to, to these programs that try to help immigrants and give us, you know, a chance to have real, you know, contributing lives. And because I was in South Florida, the ESOL program was full of um, mostly Spanish-speaking kids, you know, from like Puerto Mm. Rico and Panama and, you know, Haiti, et cetera. And I actually first learned Spanish before I learned English because all my, you know, friends (laughs) in school were speaking Spanish to each other. But, you know, with that, immigrant spirit and also entrepreneurial spirit. I'm actually a third generation entrepreneur. My father and grandfather both started companies in China. I actually mainstream really quickly through through that program, through, you know, through school. And four or five years after moving to the U.S. without speaking English, I got a perfect score on my SAT verbal and got a scholarship to go to college. And then eventually went on to go to Harvard Business School and then becoming an entrepreneur myself. Is that why you're such an overachiever then? Are you like overcompensating? It's like, that's where you're going to Harvard and YC. Is is that the root of it? You know, it's entirely possible that because <laughs> I'm meteor in my formative years, right? As a teenager, like that's, yeah. a, that's a sensitive time, I think, to do anything. Oh, that's such right? an eighth anything. grade. Oh my gosh, right. that's so formative yeah and i and I, I had this like stupid chinese haircut with my uncool chinese clothes and shoes right so i definitely had to figure out a way to not feel bad about myself so you know it's yeah. entirely possible but you know now I, I see my daughter right she's five and she is you know she I'm, I'm so so thankful that she doesn't have to deal with a lot of things i had to deal with as a child right or as an immigrant and you know i i wonder do i want to give her this sort of pressure to perform or do I just want her to simply have an easy, simple life? And I'm, I think I'm actually leaning towards the latter. You know, I, I have the life I have and I enjoy what I'm doing, but I want her to not feel as much pressure to have to, to have to be excellent at everything. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Cause we, we were talking before we recorded, we both have girls, we both have a five-year-old girl as well. And it's tough. Cause like I see parents, like they're doing all the things they're doing all the lessons. And am I going to go down that path and right. just push, push, push? Or it's let them be a kid, let them do those things. And just like, how do we just create a lot of laughs and smiles and not yes. to be like all warm and fuzzy and everyone gets a, you know, consolation prize. But it's it's kind of tough as you kind of figure that out because 
what's right for you or what worked for you, does is that the right thing for this kid? And it's a tough thing to balance and navigate. Yeah, I you know, I mean, now that I'm not in Silicon Valley, you know, I, I still go on LinkedIn and I read a lot of the, you know, thought process that people have. And I think a lot of that is, you know, unhealthy for ourselves too, even as adults, you know, it's like, here's my plan to how I, you know, grind and hustle all day, every day. You know, I wake up at five, I, I take a cold ice shower, you know, and then I you know, yeah. like, um, do inversion therapy and then I run a hundred miles and I come back and I don't talk to any, you know, say, well, what, what, to what end, right? To yeah. what end are you doing all of this? You know, is this what life is meant to be? Like, you know, the birds are flying free. And, you know, I think our lives are probably worth more than birds. So why are we enslaving ourselves? And that's not, that's not how it's meant to be. I know. I know. I, I stare at this Zoom <laughs> too much. It's like, I've got to grow, grow, grow. But yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough balance. And I feel like we yeah, need a whole other podcast getting get into our psychology of parenting. <laughs> but, um, right. And psychology of life and achievement and all of that. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. as you like build something and grow, it's like, yes, it's fun to have that. But if you don't have a good, happy house and people around you, like it doesn't matter. So absolutely. But yeah. You know, um, that's the that's the psychology I try to bring improvement to. Right. Because, you know, you just mentioned earlier about founders, I mean, about VCs and what their expectations are. Right. And they might have a set of expectations for proven. And I think in the early days, I had, you know, I was very influenced by that. Right. Because, you know, that was the sort of prevailing thought process in, in Silicon Valley that you, you know, you push, you just push growth as much as you can. And now, you know, certainly growth matters. But because when I look at my daughter, who's my, you know, we have, I have two babies and my daughter, I have proven. When I look at my daughter, right, I'm not thinking growth at all costs. Like you must like grow taller. I'm every day I measure you. I have a dashboard. Are you gaining weight? Are you eating yeah, taller, you know, like, I'm, bigger, smarter? Right, yeah. Right. Or are you getting smarter? Let me count your vocabulary. You know, I'm not doing that because I want her to enjoy her life and I want to enjoy her as well. Right. And same thing with proven. Like I care so much about it. Right. It's my second baby. And so in some ways that now it's sort of taking shape. Should I just let it organically continue to take shape on its own rather than say I must force it? to have this and that. And it's not fair, right? It's not fair to have these kind of expectations on, on, on an entity at all times, right? I'm certainly going to keep working as hard as I can and bring the best people on. And, and, but at some point, right, it's beyond your control. At some point, you can only give it the best, you know, ingredients and feed it with the best nutrients. And then out, some, some things outside of that are not under your control. And, you know, to learn to be okay with that. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I struggle with sometimes like I want to have the most amazing company culture that people want to be here for a long time. But if, if your MPS mm -hmm. score is a, a little too high, you're making some a little too lax or cush. Whereas mm -hmm. you want, I want to put the right amount of pressure on, but not to burn people out. Right. So it's right. kind of this, this fine line and then trying to yes. balance that. So yeah, it's Absolutely. something we try and think through a lot. Oh yeah, you can work remotely. You don't like have meetings on Fridays, but we have aggressive goals. And so it's mm. like, how do, how do you do that? I I haven't landed the plane or figured it out, but we're we're trying to. So yeah. Oh, I think about that is you know one of, one of our values is love your work and live your life. So mm. we have a lot of people with you know with families with kids, and we are a remote company. So we do have you know very high standards for for our team members. As you can imagine, you know, we're a fast growing company, but also a very lean team. You know, I think last year, 2023, wait, no, 2022, you know, we hit more than 35 million in revenue, 
with mm-hmm. about 30 full-time staff. So it's that, you know, that's wow. a pretty lean ratio. So we certainly have high standards of our yeah. staff, but you no, know, we want to make sure that they're thriving, not just at work, but also outside, which means we try to not have, you know, unnecessary meetings, which means we try to keep everything so that, you know, if you're performing, you're doing well, we don't need to, you know, waste your time with other, other things. We, we don't, we don't ping you on weekends. We don't ping you, you know, after six, et cetera. So it's basically like trying to hire the best people, like true professionals and experts mm-hmm. at what they do, and then sort of setting them free to do their good job and then letting them go home to, you know, the, the things outside of work in their lives. Yeah. Ooh, I love, we might have to steal that core value. What you said, love your work, live your life. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. But I, I cannot thank you enough for the time. And I know we've, we've gone over, but this, this has been really fun. And it's so fun to watch what you're building and what you all are doing. Where can we point people if they want to learn more about Proven or more about you and what you're doing? Where, where can they go? Yes, please check us out at provenskincare.com, P-R-O-V-E-N skincare.com and get your own personalized skincare system that's just right for you. Yeah. And even just from like a growth and conversion optimization perspective, their site is a, a masterpiece. So go check it out and then get your skincare products. So absolutely. But Ming, thank you so much for the time today. This was a blast and look forward to talking more. Thank you so much, Jim. Have a good one. You too. Good night. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, 
give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.